0: Did you know that your body and well-being are being continuously threatened by something you don't even see? That threat is based on electromagnetic radiation, or e smog On an average day, you get exposed to 20 to 40 sources of negative EMF, such as your Wi-Fi router, Bluetooth headphones, cell towers, even the dirty electricity hidden in your walls. This radiation creates a long list of problems that impact your everyday wellness and well-being. Check out the Centropics Bubble. The Bubble is a breakthrough miniature active neutralizing frequency device that literally fits in your pocket. The Bubble uses EMF radiation protection, which makes positive electromagnetic frequencies that are aligned with your body and the Earth. The bubble is programmed and charged by impulses from a specifically developed bioresonance radiation technique. Frequencies that counter interference fields, known as electrosmog or electromagnetic pollution, are recorded as information by the bubble. Best of all, you can take the bubble with you wherever you go. Rediscover the joy and wonderful passion of being alive and reclaim your vitality and energy. Just go to getthefrequency.com or click the link in the description to get your Centropics bubble today. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Gail Hayson. First, I have a couple of announcements. Check out our website, ForbiddenKnowledge.news. It's also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. There's where you'll find some of your favorite podcasts from our community, like Raised by Giants, Inception, Going Down the Rabbit Hole, and we have some new ones coming. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. Check out Rockfin. That's where you get our premium content. You also get all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin for only $10 a month. You can also create a free account and get access to everyone's free content, including all our regular shows. You just go to rockfin.com slash FKN Plus. That's R-O-K-F-I-N dot fknplus FKN Plus to sign up now. Finally, if you want to help with a donation for the documentary production, anything is greatly appreciated. You can go to supportfkn.com or we have a PayPal link right in the description. Any donation, $5 or more, through supportfkn.com, you get access to Corey Hughes JFK Forum and tons of amazing information that will be going into his upcoming book. Today, I want to welcome back to the show Gail Hayson. She has had paranormal experiences since she was a teenager. She is known as a telepath, psychic, and remote viewer. She has contributed to many experiments and papers on paranormal phenomena. She has also been welcomed into indigenous cultures, and in 2012, she was initiated as a Mongolian Burait Shaman. Gail, welcome back. How are you doing?
1: Good. It's very nice to be back here again. I guess it's been a year, I think.
0: Yeah, it's been a little while. This is going to be fun, though. It was a great show last time. I'm sure we're going to have a great time today. Uh, I want to get deeper into your work with shamans, miraculous healings, remote viewing, uh, and I, you've actually had some dreams that help solve mysteries and you were a test subject for a scientific research in, in the field of metaphysics. So this is going to be great. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, including you have a podcast that you've been doing with some very fascinating guests we'll be talking about as well. But it's been a while. Why don't you remind the audience just a little bit about yourself and how, what sets you down your path you're on?
1: Well, um, I can't remember since it was a year ago what we actually talked about last time. So pardon me if I repeat any stories. (laughs) Um, I've always lived just like kind of spontaneously. I've never actually planned anything. So I don't actually, I never planned to go down the particular paths that I'm on. They just all kind of presented themselves. And uh, I think that, as far as shamanism goes, the original thought about it was that I had gone to shamans for healing myself, but never thought about myself becoming a shaman or have anything to do with shamanism. So I was visiting a well-known famous remote viewer named Ingo Swan, And we were together at his apartment, at his house in uh, the Bowery. And Russell Targ had taken me there to meet him and uh, see all his amazing art and his incredible paintings. And while we were sitting there, um, it was the end of our visit and I was getting up to leave and he just came to me and he said, you know what? You're a shaman and you just don't know how to act like a shaman or how to be a shaman. (laughs) So I think that's the first seed that got planted. Because I thought, what a strange thing to say from this man the first day I meet him. And now I realized he was really precognitively seeing what was going to happen in my future. Because from that time on, I had been involved in um, an organization where at first I was just going, uh, you know, as as a, a guest or, you know, going up to their conferences. And I ended up becoming involved in the conference. It was a conference on shamanism and alternative modes of healing. And it was founded by a woman named Ruth Inga Hines, who was no longer with us. But for 30 years, she conducted this amazing conference inviting shamans from all over the world. So you could go down to this event. On um, It would be coming up now because it was always on Memorial Day every year for three days. And there you would be in a room where on three, for three days you could see shamans from Laos and uh, 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 South America, Mexico, Asia, all over the world, shamans would come and you'd get to experience their ceremonies all in this three-day time. So I ended up assisting and helping her and she ended up putting me as the helping interpreter, even though I don't speak a word of Mongolian, when a delegation of Mongolians arrived and the translator hadn't come. And that was my start of interacting sort of telepathically with these people so that we could get them in their room, get them ready for their presentation, find them food. And that started our friendship, which was in 2005. So since 2005 until now, I have hosted Mongolian shamans and professors and families and wonderful people that have come through my home and done ceremonies here. And I've continued by bringing my family to Mongolia and also going there myself on another separate trip. So I gave uh, talks at conferences there in Mongolia. And this kind of sealed our relationship, which continues to flourish today. But it really started back in 2005 at the Shamanism Conference when I was introduced to Zorik Batar, who is also no longer with us. But uh, that was my beginning of experiencing Mongolians and shamanism in Mongolia.
0: So you had no idea about the language, didn't speak it at all, but you were somehow still able to telepathically communicate with this group of people, right?
1: In fact, it's an issue or subject or whatever the word is, correct, that I would love if I, I have worked with researchers, but I'm not personally exactly a researcher, I've been a subject and assistant with um, Dean Radin on a few different experiments, but um, I'm very curious because I'd like to know, I used to feel that my telepathy, which I've had for a very long time and was written about in Dean's book, uh, Supernormal, uh, I always really felt that my telepathy sort of had to do with reading another person's mind or getting this information, But it was always in English. Now I've had three times experiencing connecting with people, maybe four, four different cultures where um, I don't speak a word of their language. This happened to me when I stayed with people in Japan and I was just a guest because their family had their students had stayed at our, our home. And things were going on in the home. This had nothing to do with shamanism, but I knew everything that was going on and we were communicating, but there was no English or Japanese going on between the two of us. And I never thought about it again after that. But then after I've had these Mongolian shamans come here and specifically in the initiation that I did with a very um, wonderful shaman named Zagda, how did I know she would say, in her mind, she would think of something she wanted. And specifically, this was a really strange one. Before our initiation, we were gathering things for days. It was a six-day preparation before the initiation. And she wanted this herb. Now, she's not telling me I want an herb. She's just thinking in her mind she wants this thing. And I just look at her in the face. She looks at me. And I run upstairs to my bedroom. And I go through my bags of things I have from Mongolia and I take out this bag of some sort of dried herb that looked like, I don't know, thyme or something, you know, some little tiny herb thing and I bring down the bag to her and the only thing I knew about the herb is that it was given to me while I was in Mongolia by someone and that I was told um, it was from Siberia. Well, I didn't know what it was for. I just happened to have this for years. I bring this herb to her and she looks like this on her face and goes like this, Gail, Gail, Gail. <laughs> it was the exact herb she wanted. It oh, was wow. part of a cleansing herb that was needed in this shamanic initiation. But the fact was, she never said, I want an herb. I'm looking for this. It was to... and then when we had a Mongolian filmmaker, Mr. Suki, he came here and filmed us. It was the first time that I got translation because we did this entire ceremony without a translator. And this was intense work and it went on, I was in an altered state of consciousness. I was, you know, I'd left my body and was in different states from chanting and drumming and the things that we did in this initiation. And this initiation is a Buryat initiation, which is where Mongolian shamanism combines with Buddhism because those were really the two religions in that country. So, that was the particular lineage that i was initiated in when the man came and asked her zagda how did you do this with gail when neither of you speak the language and when she gave the description it's what i experienced she said i would just think in my mind and gail would be right there inside my mind and we would do the thing and the thing is though This has happened to me over and over again. We can't say this is a one-time experience of telepathy. Mm -hmm. How are we communicating then when we, neither of us, I don't speak, I speak three words in Mongolian. She speaks maybe three words in English. Mm -hmm. How did that occur? I thought that would be a good research scientific project for someone to try to figure out what telepathically is really going on when no language is actually being exchanged. Yes,
0: that is incredible. I love that story. Uh, now, from the from earliest age, you were having what's considered paranormal experiences. What are some of the most uh, memorable things that have happened?
1: When I was, uh, you mean like young as a child? Yeah, a- yeah. When you
0: first started, you know, experiencing high strangeness and telepathy and things.
1: Well, my first one would be what I called flying. And only because of these podcasts and me having guests and be being on shows that I've learned that there are other people who use the same word as a child, that it felt like flying. But I think it's called astral projection. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if that's the correct word. Right. I would be laying in my bed as a kid and I would leave my body, but see my body laying in the bed. And then I would travel around the house and I would see the other people sleeping. But the most memorable feeling of it that always stayed with me was that I'd be at the was a three story house and I'd be at the top of the steps and I would just take one leap and be at the bottom. And it would not be that I'd physically missed all the stairs or anything. It would more be like I floated to the next space. And that feeling, all I could call it was flying because I'd kind of be going around the house and I'd always feel like I was near the ceiling looking down at everything. And I didn't learn how to play with that or know more about it till I was later in my teenage years, an old teenager (laughs) and in my early 20s. And I started to expand because then when it started happening, I would only let it happen on its own. I wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to fly tonight it would just occur. Mm. So I started to realize that, wait a minute, maybe I could fly out further than my house. And so through the years as a teenager and into my early 20s, and somewhere in my, I think it was in my late 20s, when I remember the last time where I actually did this, I realized I could leave the house and go out into the street. I realized I could go higher above the city. I realized, and in my 20s, when I was more experienced and had done some retreats and meditation and things like this, when it happened again, I went above the world and I'd gone to like a traveling, I can't explain, but it was very magnificent experience, but it's not something that I call on and it comes to me. It's just when it happened, I knew that now I could experiment and go further with the experience. Mm.
0: Um, So after after your 20s, you didn't experiment anymore with these out-of-body experiences?
1: Well, I know I I always had a problem about always leaving my body. <laughs> I find it funny because I, I I meet some people, they say, yeah, I'm doing all these methods because I really want to leave my body. And I'm thinking to myself, I was always trying to stay, get back in my body. <laughs> How can I stay there? Because you're not supposed to be floating out there all the time, you know?
0: Right. right.
1: But the part that we're missing here is that uh, the other thing that would happen before I actually had professional training, which I had when I was 15 Uh, I would also have telepathic, I would have dreams of things of the future that would happen. Like I I could see my grandfather's death. I would see death a lot. So that would be the something that when I was a child and a teenager that before I had any experience, like older dying people would like me to sit next to them by their side. My father would be told by his friends at the Theosophical Society, because in New York, my dad was part of the Theosophical Society. And they would tell him that he had a very spiritual child. Did he know he had a very spiritual child? And um, so he always gave me very good guidance in that area. It's not like he ever like tried to stifle any of the things that happened. He would just always say, well, how do you know my father's going to die? I said, I don't know. I just know, you know. <laughs> so then we all ended up taking a course here in California when we left New York. And it, you know. In the 70s, this was the biggest thing happening. You're young, you don't, weren't around at that time, but it was the um, everybody was doing self help movement and everything, everybody was some, everybody had a guru and everybody was somebody's teacher. And this was all a big thing going on. So this car salesman, uh, I think his name was Jack, I forget what his first name was, but he changed it to Werner Earhart. And he became this guy who uh, was a self-made man who did this promotion of this Mind Dynamics course, which I took with my family. And then he later founded Est and the Forum and all those different, uh, uh, I don't know what they were, workshops that people would take to supposedly better and improve themselves. Mm -hmm. And he became a multi-multi-millionaire and blah, blah, blah. But it was made on the backs of sort of people like me who volunteered time for like I volunteered for them for close to two years. And uh, when they would have guests, I, I I graduated in his second class, he'd never given. So that's how long ago this was. But you were taught what you now call remote viewing. But then we called it cases. But we were being taught how to separate from the body and enter into another person's body and see what was physically wrong with them, and then heal them of their problems. And you would do this all in a workshop in your mind that you built in the four days that you would take this class. Well, by the second day of the class, I could do everything that they were gonna be teaching in the next weekend. And my brothers and I were the only kids that were in this course. It was all you know, middle class, upper middle class, 99% white, And it was really geared towards a certain class of people. And, you know, they were going to become better or whatever. Mm -hmm. They were going to be able to do this. So I was used, as Russell Togg pointed out to me, a shill. And what would happen is I would sit in front of, you know, anywhere from 100 to 400 people, depending. Later in the year, it got, you know, very, very huge. When we first started, there would only be 60 people. And... um, Werner would say to me, I'll tell you the name and the age and the city of someone and you tell me about them. And in seconds, I could tell them physically all the different things that were wrong with them, which astounded me because we were raised with no doctors, dentists and as vegans back in the early 60s. And the only thing we had was, you know, we had a monk that lived with us, a Hindu monk and we, you know, we were taught yoga and meditation and this sort of stuff and wheatgrass juice, which in 1962, nobody was doing this. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I have to laugh when people tell me about the diets and things they're on. Like, they think it's so new. And I think, well, yeah, we did that in
0: 1962.
1: Yeah. Right. Anyhow, So I developed this ability to do more with the gifts that I had already come in with by being taught this uh, method or whatever. I don't use it anymore. And I stopped using it when I was 17. Mm -hmm. But from 15 to 17, I did hundreds and hundreds of sick bodies. And I would spend a week working on trying to heal them. And when I look back and I tell the story, I think, what teenager? I mean, I was going to rock concerts and partying, but I was doing healing also. I mean, my other friends weren't doing this, you know? Yeah. So that's what I would answer the question of how, where this all really began would be in that experience. And then I'd said, after I had a very frightening experience, which is very real, in case any of your listeners have had this, what is called possession, where an entity is trying to possess your body. And I was only 17 at the time, but I had been living on my with my boyfriend in an apartment in San Francisco, so I left home at 15, so I'd been on my own for, you know, a while, And I could not, I'd call Werner in the group and say, can you help me? This this, this entity is trying to take over my body. And they would say, you create your own reality. It's your problem. You have to deal with it. And I thought, oh my God, I dedicated almost two years of my life volunteering here to help people. And this is how you retreat somebody who's going to help you. So that's when I said, I will never do anything psychic again. And at 17, I stopped any kind of formal, you know, ideas about sitting and reading people or doing a a healing like that with them. And I only lived with whatever happened to me naturally after that.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about what happened with the entity that was trying to possess you?
1: Absolutely. And I hope that by sharing this, it may help another person. You know, that's that's only my goal on all these shows of being a guest or having people as guests on my shows, is that sharing our stories, I really feel, can help heal each other. And also, like just like I learned that other people use flying as that word when they were a kid too, there's some comfort in the knowingness that there's someone else that shares the experience with you. Yeah. So what it was is... Every day that I would be coming home from wherever it was, I would feel this presence on the left side of my shoulder. And I couldn't see anybody or anything, but I could feel this like heaviness. And it started to get stronger where I started to get filled with fear, where at first it was sort of like, what is that? Or And I'd just sort of be looking like that to see if there was something there and there'd be nothing there. So I just think, oh, it must be whatever. But then as the days went on, it got stronger and stronger. And I started to feel so much more filled with fear, which is when I contacted the S group and cause he was S then. Mm-hmm. And when I contacted um, my father who was up in Northern California and I was in San Francisco. And I said, I don't know what to do. I'm getting so scared that I feel that this entity, I didn't know what to call it because I didn't have a visual and I just said, it's trying to enter my body and take it over as its own. And that's I could just feel that that's what it wanted. And I said, I'm afraid that if I'm left alone, it's going to do that to me. So I got to the points of such fear that my boyfriend had to sit next to me when I would go to the bathroom because I was so afraid that this thing would possess me. And so my dad said, the best thing that you have to do is confront this energy or entity or person that you're feeling that's trying to take over your body. And each day it got to the point where I started, where I was afraid to leave the house you know, I got really filled with fear. So I decided to do what my dad said, but I didn't know if I had the strength to do such a thing, but this is what I want to tell you listeners. You don't have to call up somebody to help you to do this. You can do this yourself. You can have the strength. You just have to face it and stay solid in your ground in yourself. So I think that I'm going to sleep, and I'm saying, whatever this is that's here, that's trying to enter into my body and trying to take over, you have to be gone. I don't want you here. You need to release my release me and you need to go on. And then I fell into what we would call a sleep or dreamlike state but I can't really say that I was dreaming because I had all my senses. I could smell, taste, feel. It was like I was there in presence, even though it seemed like I was dreaming. And I had a cat that when all of this was going on late at night, the cat was running around in circles in my bedroom really, really fast. And I just said, whoever this is, whatever this is, please go. And I get this vision, and I realize that it's the place where I had just done some of these cases. It was a place up in the woods somewhere where someone was doing retreats for this. Mm. And I had done a case on a man who was dying. And I look at the, in the dream... I look at myself, and this is where I have my senses. And it sounds almost like a movie scene or something, and I'm not somebody who watches those kind of movies. But all of a sudden, there was like a liver in my mouth, like a raw liver, and I could smell blood like and this liver. And when I looked down at my arms like this, I saw little holes in my arms opening up and my blood just pouring out. And in the distance, I see this very pale man sitting at a desk. And as I'm smelling and losing this blood, I'm seeing this man in the distance in this dreamlike state I'm having coming to life, like becoming more than pale and starting to become sort of more like alive. And I look at him and I say, you cannot have my body You have to finish on in your own life what you have to do. And now we have to separate. And all of a sudden, the cat stopped jumping around the room. Everything that was like electrical, there was like feelings in the room of electricity as this exchange was going on. Mm -hmm. Everything became like silent and quiet. And I just went like, like that. And it was
0: gone. And
1: that's. That's about as simplistic as I could describe what that experience is like.
0: Do you think that was a spirit uh, that that had already crossed over or that was someone about to cross over that was trying to steal your life? I think it was
1: somebody who was dying, specifically Uh, this man that I was doing healing on that I didn't know. I only was given his name and age, but I would spend a week working on these people, putting gold light on them, you know, whatever – distant healingy things we were taught in that workshop to do. And then whatever ones came to me. And that was who I identified from the experience that I thought it was the man I had connected and that he was dying of, um, I don't know if it was liver cancer or some type of a cancer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that that's what was part of it. Cause I have throughout my life, experienced being called when someone I know in, I might not know that they're dying that moment, but somehow I get a message that they are and I join them in a certain way to psych help, to get them to the edge. It's like being an assistant. It's a, it's, a, it's nothing I've been trained to do. It's just something that happens for me. So I don't know how to explain it, except that death and I seem to have a lot of connective, things. I sometimes experience the death physically in my body that the person is having, even though I'm not told that they're dying that minute. I'm throwing up the, but what like they're throwing up, or I'm feeling, you know, like I can't breathe and they're dying where they can't breathe. You know, so that those are the kind of things when I say I feel something like what happens to them.
0: Do you want to learn how to remote view? Now is your chance. The International Remote Viewing Association is offering eight weeks of remote viewing classes instructed by my friend, Michelle Freed. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity starting Saturday, September 3rd, 10 a.m. Pacific. The course is only $150, and for members of the IRVA, it's only $110. Just visit irva.org slash events slash registration to sign up now. That is so interesting. I want to get into aspects of shamanism. Uh, For the audience that may not be familiar or understand exactly what it is, I know you were saying that there's actually different types. You were talking about uh, Mongolian and Buddhist shamanism. What is your best definition of shamanism? What does it entail? What are some of the major aspects of what you're doing?
1: Okay. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm very honest about anything that I share. I don't, I'm very honest about my experience. So I don't know where to place me in the level of shamanism because I always feel like I have my issues of low esteem and self lack of confidence that I know comes plays into some of this. And so I've never been able to just out and out say, Oh, I do this or I'm like that, or, you know, that's just not me. But each time that I have a shamanic experience where someone comes to my home and I do what I call a blessing or I, 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 you know, It's hard for me to say the word exactly, healing, you know, but something transpires. Often it's connecting with a loved one that has passed for them. So I'm like this combination of a medium, a psychic, a telepath, a sham. I mean, they're kind of all these things that I I don't have one specific thing that I excel in, Mm -hmm. but I have experiences with all these different paranormal uh, types of forms. And shamanism gave me like, I always felt like I never had a title or I didn't have a thing, but people would say, Oh, I feel so much better after I talked to you or I feel so much better after this happened. Or, you know, so people would say, Oh, you're a healer. Do you know you're a healer? Or you I'd get psychic readings. They say, Oh, you're psychic and a healer, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't until Zagda came to, and it was actually 2011. I made a typo on that. When she came to my house from Mongolia, and looked at me and stayed here for a while and then came back and said, I have to initiate you as a shaman. I didn't ask for this. She said, you have so many spirits around you. And now that's something I've always felt and have been told that there are a lot of spirits around me. And so to be able to get initiated into shamanism has to deal with the fact that it's, it's, it's being able to transfer into different worlds. The spirits of plant, the spirits of the trees, the spirits of animals. This is where shamans are going and communicating and getting information. The trees. The, the, on May 15th, it was my 67th birthday. And I was blessed by an accidental visit of seven, six shaman students and, and their shaman teacher from Mongolia Coming up here, not knowing it was my birthday, and doing ceremony. And we had no ceremonies here for the last two and a half years because of COVID. And I didn't realize how my soul and all the parts of me were like thirsty for this ceremony and shamanic spiritual work that I, I was doing so much of when we had the conferences. And now all of a sudden, it's, you know, no, nobody here for two years. So when they came and we did ceremony to the fire and you remember they show you to, you, you take pieces of fat and you feed the fire because the fire this is the God of fire and he needs to be fed. So you're feeding him. We had honoring of the wild animals by leaving. They brought an incredible amount of food that was laid out on the ground in front of my giant ancient redwood tree. And it was to be left there. They said it has to stay at least three days because this is our offering to all the natures and birds and you know, from the rats to the, to the foxes, to the, whatever here we have, so much wildlife. And by the second day, almost everything was gone. And I was imagining this party of all these animals, little hats for my birthday,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> eating all this food that the Mongolians had left for them. Wow. And wow. in my experience with shamans, my personal experience, and that's how I feel about it. I don't, anything I do with people, there is no money involved. I don't say to somebody, okay, when you come here, it costs $50 for a half hour and I'll do a blessing on you. When you come here, I say, I don't know what will happen. My intention is for us to have a good experience and to connect with the daughter you lost or whoever it is. And uh, whatever happens, happens. I have no idea whether what will happen. So far, my record has been excellent. There's only been really great experiences, but I always take it as it's like the first time. I never take it for granted. This is very important to me. And I I feel that all the shamans that I did work with when I had cancer, I was working with the Weechol shamans, the shamans I've done my own healing with, and then the shamans who've come through here through my life, not one of them has ever asked me for a penny, a dollar, a five dollars. This woman that came here did healing all day at my house. And I, I I was blown away because I connected two cultures together. Shall I tell you this about Weechel? Sure, yeah. So this was on the 15th on my birthday. And my dear friend who's been my Wechol friend, he, Spanish is a second language for him, and it's a second language for me. And I can tell you, we do a lot of telepathy because we have our own made-up Spanish words. I think somebody said one day, that's not actually words in Spanish. I said, oh, but we understand each other with those words. (laughs) So it turned out that he had been plagued by a year and a half since his wife had unexpectedly passed away, really from a broken heart, from the loss of of a family member. She died in her sleep. And he went back home because he happened to be visiting me at the time when his wife passed away. And he rushed back home. And we did not see him for a year and a half. And when he came back here was when the Mongolian shaman was doing the birthday thing. He'd been here for about a month. And he looked so tired and old when he got here. And he never looked like that before. Well, we find out at the ceremony through three translatings, that from Spanish to English, English to modern Mongolian, and from modern Mongolian into ancient Mongolian. So that's how many languages were used to translate what he had to say. And what he had said was that every night he doesn't sleep, that the spirit of his wife comes to be with him. And now this gentleman's in his 60s, and shamans have been his doctor, his house blesser, his that, that is who he goes to, he doesn't go to a medical doctor. So this is a person who truly believes in shamanism, just like a Mongolian person would feel about shamanism. This person has, there's shamans that are doing different things, whether they're blessing ones or ones that heal sick people, they have different roles in their communities. So he said for a year and a half, no one's been able to help him. She comes there every night and disturbs him. So he cannot sleep. And he loved her dearly. It's nothing to do with that. It's just that her spirit would not go on. So that got all explained to our amazing visiting shaman woman, Ultsik. And she did this she took the horns of an antler, you know, like antler horns, and she drove it down his back, really, really deep down the back. And she did different ceremonies with him when we had the feeding of the fire and these other ceremonies. And none of this we filmed because we don't we don't film or photo during that part. And um, she said she worked. When it was all over that evening, she was exhausted. She said, I did not know I was going to have to remove demons and things while I was here, you know. The next day when he came up, I said, "How did, how did it go? And he said, I slept for the first time in a year and a half. Now, that was May 15th, and it's now... Uh, September almost right he has had nothing but perfect sleep this entire time since then and he gave them a gift thanking them and he truly experienced another cultural shamanic positive help from a shaman of another culture
0: Oh, that's absolutely incredible Uh, now you've had uh, shamanism play a, a vital role in your fight with cancer right
1: I even the doctor said I don't know my ha- my hat is off to you or this is his quote my hat is off to you whatever you did with your indians in mexico you did something because your cancer was the kind that was supposed to spread everywhere in your body mm-hmm. and instead a skin grew and encapsulated the whole tumor and it spread nowhere and he said I, I I mean, I never heard a doctor say that, but that is what he said. And afterwards, you're supposed to, there was no bleeding. There was no, it was a very, very positive experience. And the shaman in the Weechul's who had told me that I was sick, I had cervical cancer. So he's down there with his head in my crotch and he's got his feathers and he's doing all this stuff. And he, he sucks up out of my body and, spits out this substance into his hands and shows it to me. And it's this really white, white kind of color. And he tells me that I have to remove the hard thing in there. He doesn't call it cancer. He doesn't tell me. But up until that point, because of the upbringing I'd had, which was never to believe in doctors and that they're really just trying to kill you, I uh, never took the, advice of getting surgery within 30 days of this diagnosis, I waited a year. And during that year, I did nine days of silent meditation with Joseph Goldstein of Apostle Meditation Retreat, uh, you know, 12 hours a day of meditating day and night. I was taking all sorts of uh, juices and all these different things. But I was trying to heal, I feel like, all the other parts My soul, my spirit got healed in ways. I did deep, deep body work. And um, then I was ready. But I never believed I had the cancer till that day in Mexico at 10,000 feet elevation in the mountaintop. And when he said that that I was sick there, that's when I truly knew I had cancer because I was raised not to believe a doctor report. And I was 33 at the time. I... um, also experienced that his father, my friend Miguel, who's the one who brought me to the Huichols, because this is a very, you have to be invited to go there back then, and you have to have permission from the governor of the Huichols to be there. And this is in, up in Santa Catarina in the, you know, high up in the mountains there. And his father who was, he lived to 108 or something, and who was, you know, I was very close with his father and mother and they felt like I was like a daughter to them, he prepared something for me that was their cure for those kind of ailments. And I did not know what I was eating at the time, but when he gave it to me, he was pounding it in a mortar and pestle. And then he gave me a little piece of tortilla to scoop it up and eat this brown powdered up stuff. So I thought it was like, you know, beef jerky or something or deer jerky that had been pounded. And when I ate it for four days, I think I felt like Wonder Woman or somebody like my body had been given some kind of nutritional jolt like it had never had before. And the depressing and crying way I had been because I realized I do have cancer completely disappeared. And I went into superwoman mode. I found out about two years later what I'd actually taken, which was one of their special cures was the dried blood of the deer that had, the deer had to be caught sacred and, and then the body and everything had to be prepared ceremonially. And then this blood is dried and kept and used for these kind of serious illness situations. But I didn't know back then that I was eating the dried blood of the deer because my Spanish and the Weecho and the language. <laughs> but it was kind of salty, but you know, it didn't taste bad and um and it made me feel unbelievable inside physically wow. and emotionally yeah so yep. that would be for me a direct shamanic healing experience with true actual fact and a doctor even saying you did something wow. something happened.
0: There. that's incredible uh, well, now, while we're talking with uh, about uh, shamanic experiences, something that you see portrayed in, like, Hollywood and the media throughout time is people walking on hot coals. And you've actually done this. I'd love yeah. to hear about this.
1: This was great. God, I'm so <laughs> glad you have the questions, because I kept thinking, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> but I guess I have a lot of stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... I explained to you about the shamanism conference and how we'd have these people coming from all over. So I would invite them back to my home because I was one of the organizers and I was part of helping them out. So even though there might be a hundred something people there, they would, you know, have to meet me to help without registration or whatever, giving them their badges. So I'd say if you have time and you'd like to come, I'll show you the redwoods and the ocean. And I live in an apple orchard and I have a, your own room for you, and you can do ceremony if you'd like to have like small groups of like 20 people. So I've had Peruvian, I've had I've had so many wonderful guests that have come to my home and stayed in this back building that used to be a horse barn. And I turned it into a shamanic ceremony place with. Uh, tankas and you know carpets on the floor and little chairs and seats and this woman Latamira came from Russia she was Russian woman and I think hers was Siberian shamanism and she came and she said she always came here and did amazing rituals we did rituals where we were blindfolded and had to walk around my 15 acres blindfolded and uh, we had uh, ceremonies where we dripped hot wax down your back, uh, you know, be a partner, two people, and you would go through uh, getting in touch with your ancestors and the pains that they've carried through inside your spine that's been gone on for generations to generations. And you would release and have these amazing visuals while the hot wax was being poured down your back. So then one day she says, on another visit, we'd like to do hot cold, cold walking. And I'm like, Hot coal walking, you know, in my orchard. Okay, so my son, who, as you might know, some sons are like this. He loved to play with fire and dangerous fire things (laughs) from a young child. on. That's me. (laughs) Yes. And now he does it. You know, now he wells and does, you know, now he's 32. So he uh, does great things with the fire that he used to play with. And so we asked him to make the bed of coals because it has to be done a certain way. So she's, we have a big giant windows in the, in the center where we had the, 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 conference, the, the shaman little ceremonies so we could look out the window and she would watch and it was hours that she had my son with, it was all wood and it was laid out. I want to say it was about maybe four feet wide and about 10 feet long or eight feet long, something like that. And he kept stirring the coals until it was almost darkness actually. And then she came out and she looked at the coals and she tested them and she did things on them and she said, now it's ready. So the first part of walking on coals is do not do this. You need to have somebody who knows what they're doing. People have been burned doing this. So I'm telling you, listeners, don't say, oh, I think I'll try that and go out into my yard. Don't do that. Yeah. When you have a shaman or some very experienced person that's willing to do that with you, it's not me. Then, then, then have the experience. Yeah. So I'm looking at this situation. And my son, who kept saying he was going to do this, as he's looking at the coals, he's I changed my mind, Ma. I'm not not running over any coals. I'll watch. He said, I'll I'll film or whatever. (laughs) So she's taking the people and holding a hand and rushing them across these coals. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, can I do this? You know, when you just touch a little match head that's red, it burns your finger, that tiny little bit of nothing. Yeah. Well, these red glowing coals, which in the night darkness, you could see that how glowing they were. I have no idea what she does to the thing. I don't know what the preparation is that's invisibly going on. I have no idea. But something is prepared for you to be able to rush over these coals like this. So she takes the first people through. And I'm watching, and at first they're, you know, a little like this, and they run across the coals, and when they get to the other end, they are just squealing and laughing in joyous response, like unbelievable. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, Gail, you got to do this, you got to do this, but I'm still not ready. But before I know it, she just grabs my arm and takes me. I'm going. (laughs) You can't think about it anymore, Gail. Yeah. And we go running down the coals, and it, fills you at the end with this most powerful I don't know why but just amazing powerful energetic feeling when you get to the end of the coals you look at the bottom of your feet there's no burn there's I have no idea why I cannot answer to you about this well I did it over and over again I think six times that night because it felt so empowering to do this and then, you know, then it, you know, she, then it was the end. And the next day I saw how the empowering infected me because I had, had scheduled ahead of time to take them horseback riding on the beach. Cause I thought Mongolians horses, I wanted to treat them to something, you know, they're not asking me for money when they're doing all these things in my home. So we go out and i get put on a horse and i'm somebody who's been on horses you know maybe six times in my life i'm terrified of them i'm you know just give me a one that just kind of walks a little slow yeah but i'm willing to do all this because i want to share the experience with my visiting friends so we have six of us we're on the horses and there's a couple people in front of me and a couple the rest of them behind and as we're entering the beach all of a sudden And this is where the the powerful experience comes in. If I had not walked on coals the night before, I would have been crushed because I would have never been able to respond like I did when the horse did a very rare, unusual thing for a human on its body. It took its legs and just collapsed straight down to the ground. And right in the line as we were walking, you know, they're trailing, you know, and you're following a little trail. And when it fell to the ground like that, it went to roll to the side, which is where my leg would have been crushed. And the people that were behind me, that's all they saw was that I was going to be crushed. <laughs> Nobody believed what happened next. I just jumped off the horse like I was a horse rider or somebody, stood right next to it and worried that I had done something like maybe I'm too fat. Did I get, you know, was I too heavy for this horse? What happened here? Wow. That, I come to find crazy. out later when they put me back on the horse and I get back to the center where, you know, you're left with all the horses and I tell them what had happened and that the fact that I could deal with it and then get back on and not even be scared was amazing to me. But why did the horse do that? And the first thing they said was, you know, and I'm not saying that I am this, but you must be a very spiritual person. (laughs) They said, this is something the horse doesn't do when there's someone on their back What it is, is they're shedding right now because of this time of year. So when they got to the sand, they wanted to rub this. This particular horse wanted to rub its belly in the sand and roll in the sand. And that's what it was doing. (laughs) They said, but it never happens when there's somebody riding on it.
0: That's crazy. Wow.
1: So that's my my hot cold story.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: (laughs) And again, listeners, only do this with someone that is <laughs> reputable, that you know has done this with other people before, and knows how to protect you.
0: Oh, please do, please do. Yeah, something that's uh really fascinating to me is the being able to achieve altered states, and even healing from drumming, chanting, and different types of frequencies. And you actually work with this too, don't you?
1: Well, this is what, like, I don't know you know, intellectually, I can't give you a whole list about shamans. It's things I could read in a book and any person can pick up what's the definition of a shaman. Mm. But I really think it's a person who's been able to navigate between two worlds mm. and, um, and, you know, world of the spirit, world of the body, what whatever, you know, however you want to call that the other world, whatever that is to another person. And, um, I have seen visually shamans do healing on people. And if you were to watch some of it, you might, some people wouldn't be able to handle seeing some of the things that are done, but I've actually seen the results afterwards where the person is no more an alcoholic. The person has a, a teenage boy. They Some teenage Mongolian when Zagda was here, I think it was Zagda or could have been a uh, Dr. Lagwa. I'm not sure which shaman it was, but, this Mongolian family flew from Chicago to bring their child here who was a teenager and going down the wrong path. I don't know if he was going to drugs. I don't know what he was doing, but they worked on him for, I think about three and a half or four and a half hours outside around my fire pit. And when I questioned months later, what happened, the kid was still straight as an arrow changed his life. The man who had alcoholism had gotten Completely off of alcohol, instantly changed his life. These are instances that I'm listening and hearing about. A year later, it's still the same. It didn't just last for a week. So I think the healing and the work that's done is very powerful. Um, I also think you have to be open and receptive to it. That some people really don't, I don't think it like just happens to and works work great for every person, mm-hmm. but I, I personally have seen and experienced the power of shamanic work. That's great. It's also becoming very popular and like everybody's a shaman now. And if you pay $3,000, you can become a shaman in this lineage or you pay money and you can become that one or whatever. I I can't speak much about that kind of.
0: Now, is there a certain tone or rhythm that you use in particular to achieve these altered states whenever you're jum- drumming or chanting?
1: Well, I'll tell you, and I just left it upstairs. Um, I have about seven different types of things that make sound,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I make sound with um, uh, with these things. And I'm just learning right now about frequencies. And I just purchased one of my podcast guests was a man named Randy Zanis, mm-hmm. and he licensed his amazing technology which he says comes from the fifth dimension. And these things have been created into devices that, oddly enough, one of the devices that he um, licensed the technology for was something my father and I used to wear 30 years ago called a Q-Link. And it's a device that you use to protect you from microwaves because everything then was the microwave ovens. And uh, he's always been involved in this sort of thing. I'm going to reach over here for a second. Yeah, no worries. I'm going to show you this device that I yeah. just acquired. And I don't know anything about frequencies. As I tell you, I'm not an intellectual, so I can never tell you the science. And after they tell me, I can't even repeat it. But I can share my experience of what I know. So I bought this little device. Can you see it? Yes. Okay. Yes. And it's called, I don't know if you can see close on the thing that shows you the can't name read of it. it.
0: There it is. World Integrity Space Harmonizer. Exactly.
1: And it's, I've only been experimenting with it for the last, since July 12th. And it has something to do with frequencies. And I did not know how important frequencies are, except that that must be what's going on when I'm playing all these unusual sounds around people's bodies. When I do this, it's my own made up thing. Uh, I sit them down and I always smudge them first. And then I just have everything all, I set up an altar for the person. And then I have all these little devices. We never talk during this. There's no talking involved. And it's just me making these different sounds and what it brings in. And I end up hearing information to tell them. I end up seeing something that I might share to say, oh, I saw this. And um, it puts them in some sense. I don't know what, but I think frequencies is a very important thing, even though I can't tell you a lot about it. Yeah. So this harmonic thing was, this is a recently new company, this Wish. And they licensed the technology from my friend Randy. So he doesn't like sell these. He just licenses the things he gets from his fifth dimension downloads. Right. And I said I would buy one but I had no idea what would really happen with this. And I have to say some very interesting things have happened since I turned it on in my house. The first one being, you know, so I'm not like stating, Oh, this is the thing. I'm not stating anything. I'm just stating I'm having unusual experiences since I bought this (laughs) device. Okay. And As I told you, I have a lot of fear of medical and these kind of things, you know, I'm not, I don't rush to take medical, whatever. Same here. So I, I was coming up with that July 13th, my husband was having hip replacement surgery. And I was more scared than him. He was, like, thrilled to be going to get rid of his pain, thrilled he was getting a titanium and ceramic ball. And he posted pictures on Facebook of how amazing it is, and he he healed exactly in six weeks. Wow. Well, this machine arrived, coincidentally, or whatever, the day before he was going into the hospital. I can't even take – I could drop him at the hospital because of COVID. I, 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 I couldn't enter the hospital because you have to be immunized then mm. I'm not immunized. Mm. So I couldn't go in and nor did I want to, mm-hmm. I couldn't pick him up because I know that I'm not the person to deal with this. I'm going to be too scared and whatever. Instead he came home and I had nothing but calm energy for days. He healed incredibly beautiful I never, and that was the other thing. I thought we might be killing each other that six weeks. I'm going to have to take care of him. I don't know if I can take this. He turned out to be the best patient ever. All of his stuff. He didn't have any sore wound, nothing from the incisions. Everything just did amazing. But my calmness, I couldn't understand that I was calm for all, even when he came home with all the stuff and the badges and all the things you got to do while we first get back and la la la. I never went through a medical, you know, it's just my husband. It's not me personally, but I'm going to be just as scared for him. I never went through something so calmly like this. Wow. Then I don't know how personal I want to get, but it affected my sexual energy tremendously. And I'm I may be 67, but I'm a very sexual person and I always have been. And I feel sexual energy is also another thing I wish people would discuss in their research, because whenever I would do amazing remote viewings afterwards, I would have, I'd have to have sex. I would have tremendous sexual energy. So there was something very interesting about that, that, that happened. And then I decided to just sort of turn it off, turn it on, try it out like this. And I've noticed that from July till now, that my usual whatever self has been a much calmer person. And I feel more like, yeah, all right, that happened. Instead of my, I get very reactive, you know, that's, and that's not healthy for your blood pressure or any of these other things. So to not react so that was really great for me. So it's only um, this six weeks. But I will tell you, I used it for something recently and it blew my mind. I hope I have the paper here, I could tell you. What it was, was I did a shamanic blessing on my niece and my niece is in her thirties and she uh, survived um, uh, breast cancer and was really looking forward to having children. And there was a lot of difficulties about that because of the cancers and All of a sudden, unexpectedly, she got pregnant. And I'm very psychically in in tune to this niece because when she was uh, inside my sister, I I told my sister, you're going to have a girl, eight pounds, six ounces. And two, three weeks later, she gave birth to a girl, eight pounds, six ounces. And she was blown away because she wasn't even that weight yet when I said that's what she'd be. So we already have a connection. So I said, Auntie Gail would like to give you a little blessing on your belly, you know, while you're here for these couple of days before you go back to New York. So she said, uh, sure. I had my first, like I'd stepped into another level of shamanic work because all of a sudden it was like I was one of those Mongolian shamans where they jump up and down all over the place. And I have never been that way where, cause I'm just myself. But when I got to her belly and connected into the energy of this, this little baby in there, it put energy in me that was like I couldn't not jump up and down in my body. The energy was so powerful in a positive way, not in a negative way, though my knees hurt later that day. But <laughs> I don't think I'm meant for jumping up and down now these days, but anyhow, I did. And that was like how I started the day. I kept this wish device on in my, it's supposed to harmonize up to a 3000 square foot area. And I had this in my house, which is about a 3000 square foot house. So that afternoon I um, had another experience. What exactly? I'm trying to remember what happened here. First I had her. Oh, then I did something called Psychedelic Cannabis Journey. That afternoon, like at four o'clock, one of my guests, David Blank, which, by the way, listeners, you should watch my show. I have two episodes with Tommy Chong and we have a blast. It was so long we had to divide it into two and cut out a bunch. So I decided, you know, I'm, I'm having him on the show and he offered to do this experience he talks about on our show, which they're using for therapy. And you get trained in this how to deal with um Doing, taking people on a journey and healing different emotional issues or whatever it is they're working on through cannabis instead of necessarily through mushrooms, which is also being used microdosing and things to help people with depression. So I thought to myself, I should try this just for the fun of it. And I didn't think when I was going to try it, that anything would really happen because... I've been a pot smoker for 50 years. So I can't even imagine, you know, like he's saying how, you know, you have this experience. So, so I'm going in it. I'm saying, well, I'm trying to be open-minded, but it's hard for me to imagine you're going to do something on that. Something I've been using for all this. I'm going to have a psychedelic experience. So he um, has me smoke a little and we After we smoke, he asks me these questions. And the next thing I know, I go, like he says, on a journey. And we go through this journey. And he thankfully wrote down the things that I was saying after. And he also filmed it. And it went on for two hours. I'm trying to find you the piece of paper. Oh, here it is. And the things that started happening to me were very unusual. The the part of the pot was that I felt like after 50 years of smoking, I was truly giving it a ceremonial blessing and honoring the ally that it had been for me all my life. Mm. And that this was my friend that I'd never acknowledged in such a beautiful way as this to honor it in ceremony. Like this. And I said to him, I've done so much journeying, but I had never smoked pot during any journeying because they were always at conferences or with a hundred people, or it was never a one-on-one kind of a journey like this was. Mm-hmm. It blew me out of the water what happened in that two hours. And some of the things I said, I'm just gonna, do we have time for me to quickly read you what yes. was said yeah. during the journey? I am here to be with my spirit, to be who I am. I'm going to leave my past out of this journey and bring in confidence. I am here to accept my shamanic role, to allow the power that I know is there. I have been at this for 20 years and it's time to truly initiate myself. I feel like a hundred volts of electricity is coming from my heart and my abdomen when I say that. It's the color purple and it feels like joy. I'm very strong. It feels very weird to see that, to say that I am strong, but it feels very true. It's a combination of feeling small and at the same time full of a lot of strength. There is a presence of a man. I'm feeling an incredible amount of gratefulness and gratitude, but there's a man dancing flamenco around the room. And the next thing I know, it's filled with the spirits of all these dead people, And so I'm laying there doing this journey, and I felt like I was cushioned by so many spirits that were all in there. There were people I knew, all kinds of people I knew. I'm feeling very in touch with a heart love energy space, and it's very spacious. My heart is full. I'm in a place of tremendous vastness. I don't feel contained within my skin. I think I could go anywhere. I'm feeling gratitude and love for the people in the presence. I'm connecting to so many people that are deceased, but a joyful, loving connection of gratitude, not a heavy burdensome connection. I don't know who I am. I'm not a mother anymore. I was a mother for 30 years as a primary focus. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in the temple of Egypt. I'm I'm traveling around in Egypt and I'm having this amazing experience in the pyramid. It's so wonderful. I'm not even going to talk anymore about it. Now I'm going into a cellular place and this is where I feel the wish device must've kicked in. I'm feeling like I'm in a cellular place in my body and I'm healing every cell. It feels like I'm going into tiny molecular parts of me going into a deep connection with self I'm standing in front of a field, a big radiant field, a mystical radiance that's just glowing. If I have one thing to say about today, I feel that I'm really on a journey. So this is only one part of what was coming out of those two hours of, you know, I can't tell you what that the experience was so uh validating it was so uh yes who knew that and i went in this with this what's gonna happen you can't have any you know i mean (laughs) and the evening this all three things happened in one day and it was also the day i left this machine on all day in my house the last thing that happened is my nephew david who was visiting from new york who's an amazing piano player, which I didn't know how talented he was till that night. We introduced him to another friend of ours who does, um, he has all these CDs. He does um, beautiful piano of all the Grateful Dead music. And I was never a deadhead particularly, but all of a sudden these two people meet, one is in his thirties, the other's in his sixties, a young guy and an older guy. They sit down on the grand piano here and one on the keyboards and they play music for hours, that the house was filled with a healing of sound that came from these pianos. The sound healed my whole house of all the things that were in here and all the things that had happened in that day by two people who'd never met each other before and played like they'd always been in harmony. The piano guy kept saying, our friend Rob." He kept saying, "I can't believe that we could sit down and play together like this. This is amazing." And he's more of an introverted person, and he was embracing my nephew numerous times, thanking him for the music the two of them had just created spontaneously. Wow! It, it was a magical, and it all had to do with harmon- harmony and connection, yeah, and. Yeah. And I know we're getting close to the end of our time. I
0: love talking about this stuff that we could go on for hours. And I'm definitely going to have to have you back. We go even deeper into this. Uh, Before you go, tell the audience all about your podcast, A Small Medium at Large.
1: Okay. I'm going to use my phone here for a second just for a little, uh, you know, to help me with a little info.
0: Sure. Uh,
1: I just want to share that. I never thought I would do a podcast or ever want to do a podcast. I never even listened to podcasts. So the podcast world was completely unknown to me one year ago, September 1st. And I hooked up with someone who was on my um, remote viewing group, which we didn't get to talk about remote viewing into 2060 with Stephen Schwartz, but I just received the, the paper on it and we could do that on another show. But she was in the group that I was in and we met and she was a PR lady who told me that I was really cut out to do this podcasting. And I thought she was crazy as a loon, but I'd been told since I wrote this book, you should try and do podcasting. They want you to have um, an Internet presence before they'll even consider publishing a book for you. So I thought, all right, I'll do this for the book, blah, 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 you know, not kicking and screaming into this. And I stick with her for about eight months which was probably a few months to more than I really needed. But she got me on a start to do something that I never thought I could do, but seemed to have a natural talent for it, but obviously is talking. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: on every one of my shows, you know, so I want to thank um, Michelle and LITM media because she encouraged me to do this, but now I have to do it on my own because I don't make any money doing it. I'm just doing it to share stories. So I, I have my whole family doing it for me now. So my son does the production, my daughter posts it, my husband does the descriptions. I do the That's show. It's
0: pretty funny because I re- just released Michelle's episode today earlier. So oh, <laughs> we great did episode last week. Yeah,
1: right. Well, she's a lovely person and does does very good at what she does. But um, I just wanted to go on my own little way, my own little path. Right. And um, and I'm happy to be guests on shows and things, but. I just want whatever naturally comes to me, just the way it is. So she helped me out and got me a, you know, I knew I wanted a, uh, Russell had, in, you know, he, he loves my title, Small, Medium, At Large. And uh, that was the title, that's the title of my 350 page book I wrote that I'm going to meet with someone on next week. Great. And we started this, you know, podcast training. And by the time she finished, I was like, I guess I can do this. So I've now had 28 shows and I want to tell you listeners I've had in the beginning, the first uh, group of shows were all people that I know. So they're all people that are in the paranormal and um, scientific community. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I had Dean Radin, I had Jeffrey Mishlove, I had um, uh, Russell Targ and Stanley Krippner and, Stephen Schwartz. And my most favorite, my lady, my first show was... Um, uh, God, I'm spacing out of my names here. Um, Sally Reinfeather, who at my show, she was 91. And it's the most insp- inspirational just to, to see how brilliant and sharp her mind is and how her body's in better shape than me. <laughs> and, and she's just an inspiration. So she was my first show. And I went from that to all the different people that were like friends that I knew. So these are people I've known for years. And then I started adding in people that I kept meeting through either being a guest on someone's show. So I had them on my show, like Lindy Sharman, or um, I found someone that they had that they recommended. So then I started kind of branching off and I ended up with. I had a little ghost group where I had Lloyd Auerbach, who's, you know, very, very famous guy in the world of ghost hunting. And then I had two television producers who produced ghost shows. So I was not trying to peg myself completely like that. It's all paranormal or any of this. I had two celebrities. You know, one was a, you know, a musician guy that had changed his life. But the bottom line is that they always share intimate stories. I'm not looking for the stories that they've told a million times I'm looking for what was their childlike like? What did they learn? And also, we always share the pivotal moment about what in their life changed their path and put them down into a more spiritual path. And I have to say, you know, eight out of 10 times, it's trauma. I can say that for my own life. I can say that for my own counseling with people and getting, you know, emails about their psychic things and me telling them. Well, just you know, how did you feel? What happened? They forget that as a child they had these experiences. They block it off. They they cut it out. They they put shields. And you need somebody to remind you that no, you you might that dream might be true that you're having. So it's from all of these different kinds of things that I've wanted to be kind of. So I've had people I have never met that have become my friends because of this show that have come here and taken me to lunch. Who are now people I see regularly as couples that we enjoy, and I meet like there's a whole group in Colorado that I have to have to meet. Sean McNamara, who's been on my show. I mean, I have to meet um, Donna Re- uh, on my show with Donna. Re- I can only say her name is Reba Dow or Reba She's a spoon bender. Mm-hmm. Six years ago, she started. No, she was a spoon bender. She's a, an acupuncturist who treats you know famous Olympic athletes. She finds out she can bend spoons and forks. As I'm interviewing her, she tells me there's hundreds of silverware and spoons all on the floor. So I tell her to send me some. She sends me a whole stack of spoons and forks I have here somewhere. And together on that show, I I bend a spoon with her. So while we're talking and I said to her, well, you know, I haven't bent anything since my fork. And my fork I had been so proud of because I did two twirls around. And I had done this with a famous spoon bender, Jack Hoke, who's no longer with us at a international remote viewing association uh, conference. So I bent the twines. I twirled it around. I thought I was so cool. She gets on my show and she has a fork. She's bent around four times, not two times. And every, every time she has curled to like little curly hairs. Oh, wow. So She says, Oh, let's do one together. So on that show, which will be coming up in September, Late September, you'll see her and I bending spoons live on the show together. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, I so can this see. One, That's great. I got a three bend in it. Wow. So That's I didn't sad. know I was going to bend. You know, Russell Targ. He has me do um, remote viewings with him. He calls me up on the phone and says, "Describe to me what you're, what you see." The last one I did, he said, was a world class remote viewing. And he said, the reason it's world class, Gail, is because you didn't say one thing wrong about the object. Everything was exactly what the object was. It was an eight-arm Shiva on a lotus base. Mm. And I draw, I I can't draw, I draw this thing with the arms and the legs, but they're just sticks because I don't know how to draw. And I say, these are arms and legs. Then he has me do this one, which I thought was fascinating. I can't tell you how to say it. It's a hex, it's a 20-sided thing. Right. And it's often used in Greek and, what is it? Icosahedron Icosahedron is what it is. Okay. And when I wrote about this one, and this is all like in less than a minute that we do the remote viewings and then I'm done. And then he sends me the object, which is really sweet. So you get real validation. So I had said that it was this metal gold colored object and that the interesting thing was that every side was the same which is exactly what this is. And then I described that it was sort of like a heart of energy, that it was this amazing, like, and it's this geometric thing that has been used and placed in temples specifically for these reasons. Mm -hmm. So I often get the visual of the object, but more what the meaning of it is, you know, what it feels. So anyhow, these are on all our shows. We hope that people will... us. if you go to a small medium at large dot co, that's my website, and that shows all these things about my book and all the shows I've been on. Like when you send me the link, I'll have it posted there. And um, if you go to a small medium at large on YouTube, just put in my name, Gail Heisen, and you'll see the twenty eight shows
0: there. And I hope you'll enjoy them. Great, that was great. Well, thank you so much, Gail. We'll definitely have to talk again soon in the future. Looking forward to it. Until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. you will talk again tomorrow. See you all then.